Our scripture reading this morning comes from the passage in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles or follow along with me in the screens behind me. Proverbs chapter 3. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So ends the reading of God's word. For those of you ages three years old to kindergarten, you may now be dismissed to Little Landing. Good morning, faith family at the landing. We've worshiped in song and in prayer. Let's worship over the word. Would you pray with me once again before we turn to Proverbs 3? Father in heaven, our almighty God, our supreme sovereign, our sweet Savior. We bow before you in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you, the Holy Spirit, and we address you, triune God, three in one, asking you now to attend to us as we attend to your word with the gift of worship. Take one sentence out of my foolish efforts in this sermon and purify it and make it useful for every person who's in the hearing of my voice. Take one phrase out of your precious, inerrant, powerful, living word and press it deep into our hearts to renew and strengthen, to save and to guide, to convict and to celebrate. This is the highest moment we have in life together. The foretaste of heaven hereafter. Worship endlessly around your throne You declare that you are in manifest presence among your people when they gather in your name. And so we're here to worship you, Lord, with the highest care, the most careful attention, the sharpest focus, the most passionate zeal, for you are worthy of all those and more, and nothing else in the world could begin to compare to you. Instruct us now. Speak to us, for your servants are listening. Through Christ I pray. Amen. I chose this brief summer Proverbs series to end on Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, because it's one of the most famous and precious and much-loved verses in the Bible and in Proverbs. In fact, I think it is because it's the theme of the whole book of Proverbs. I think if you were to take the whole book of Proverbs and whittle it down to two verses, it would be Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It seems to be the apex, the zenith, the the umbrella overarching the entire book of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. If you're going to memorize one passage in the book of Proverbs, let it be this one. If you're going to teach your kids one passage out of the book of Proverbs, let it be this one. Grandparents, let this passage be the passage that you write inside the birthday cards. 
Let your social media be filled with this passage. Let your identity and everybody who knows you know that you know this one. Memorize it and share it boldly and freely because it's the most important passage in the book of Proverbs. This is the passage that you share with your family when you're about to leave for war. And you might not see them again. This is the passage you pray over missionaries that are going to be gone for a long time and they're going to a place where they're not wanted except by God. This is the passage you think of when your final breaths are being breathed or when the moment a young one leaves home for the first time or or this is the passage when your precious child marries. It's a call to trust in Christ with all your life It's a call to live your whole life trusting in Christ. It's a command, an imperative, trust in the Lord with all your heart, dear one. Trust is an active word, especially in the Hebrew it means action. Take action out of trusting in God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In fact, the word Lord here is a reference to the covenant Lord. It's in all capital letters in verse 5 and again in verse 7 because it's referring to the covenant God. This covenant God who has made his promises of covenant love to you and has poured out all the plans and details and provisions for those promises to come to pass. Trust in him. Actively trust in him. Joyfully lean on him. Put all your weight on God, all your heart, all your hope, all your desires, all your sorrows, bring everything to him, all that you are. In our modern American mind, we often turn to the idea of faith. We say, have faith, and then we take trust, which is a verb, an active word, and we turn it into a noun, a thing, and it becomes confusing. In fact, it's led to all kinds of confusions and wrong ideas. Yes, faith is something you can have. It is a noun. It is something that you can have and you received as a gift from God. Faith in God glorifies Him. We're taught that in Romans 4. We're taught that faith is a gift, Ephesians 2 and elsewhere. We're taught that I can have faith, but that's not what's being emphasized here. In fact, the word for faith isn't being used. It's trust. Lean with all your weight on God. I don't know if you noticed this, but I heard an exegete, an an interpreter of the book of John. Do you remember the evangelist John in the New Testament? One of the the most profound books of the New Testament. Many start to read uh, the book of John to encounter and grow in their Christian life. Interestingly enough, this can't be accidental, it must be intentional, that the word for faith, the noun, is never used once in the book of John. Does that surprise you? It shocked me out of my mind. The word for faith, faith as a thing, is not used once in the entire book of John. But the word for believing or trusting is used 98 times. We're getting it, John. Faith is an action. Trusting is what pleases God. That's what Solomon's pouring into his children. Solomon is king of Israel at the time. He comes to his sons and daughters. We know the daughters are there because the daughters grew up to be moms. And he says, make sure to obey your mother's teaching. They have to learn it somewhere. His sons and daughters, future kings and queens in Israel, are here receiving this apex passage in Proverbs chapter 3. 
And they're told to trust in God, trust in the Lord, the covenant Lord. And as Solomon speaks scripture to his children and it's recorded for us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now and saying, you who sit and listen, you who sit submitted to me under your word, you who come into the presence of the Lord, you have sung praises to me, you who have received the blessing of having a body that's alive and able to be here, you who have a heart that wants to be here, you who have the mind that can understand the written word, you who have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, what the Spirit says to you now is trust in the Lord. Yes, more than you've trusted in the Lord ever before. Solomon knows the promise that was given to his father David, there will not lack for me a man sitting forever on the throne of David. But Solomon knows not only is his father David a guilty sinner and only was loved by God by grace, So also Solomon is himself a guilty sinner. And this is the very thing that keeps dads so quiet when they should speak up. This is the very thing that causes the entire family to disintegrate. And if the family disintegrates, the entire culture disintegrates. And churches are weak. It all begins with dads coming before the throne of God and and doing mighty business with God to say, I know, God, that I have sinned against you and my propensity is to do it over and over and over again and to lie about it and yet, Lord God, I trust you. Give me the grace to trust you more. That's where it all begins. Solomon has done that and he brings that to his children and he wants his children to have the boldness, to have the lion-like resolve and zeal to say, of course I'm going to sin. Of course I'm going to live beneath my calling as royalty in the sight and in the economy of God and yet I come knowing he will receive me by grace. There is woven into this passage, and oh, how I wish I could talk more about this, but you will see it, and the Holy Spirit will show it to you while we're walking through this passage. There is an assumption. There is a dependence. There is a power. There is a glow of Christ, the future son of David, embedded in everything Solomon says to his kids. Nothing Solomon says to his children and the Spirit will now say to us is possible apart from Christ. The future son of David, 700 years after the fact that Solomon writes this, is absolutely present here prophetically or proleptically. That is ahead of time. Embedded here in the promises that Solomon lays out for his children There are four in the eight verses that we're looking at today, four promises. Here's the names I've given to them. These are these precious promises, and my prayer is that you'll take one of these for yourself today. You'll grab hold of one of these promises and say, yes, this was for me. This is why I'm here today. First, a crown of remembering. Second, a necklace of grace. Third, a staff of trust, and fourth, a cape of refreshing. If if you're a person who likes to draw, and if you're especially one of the six to 106-year-olds who likes to draw while you're listening, we have little uh, pages that have the crown, the necklace, the staff, and the cape already on them for you to color in. Crayons available. Let's look at each of these. A crown of remembering, a necklace of grace, a staff of trust, and a cape of refreshing. 
The first promise that Solomon makes begins in verses 1 and 2. It's this, everlasting life God promises to those who heartily remember his commands. Everlasting life God promises to those who heartily remember his commands. Do you see how I get that from verses 1 and 2? My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace will add, they will add to you. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, And you shall remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you in these 40 days in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Remembering is a spiritual exercise. Forget not my teaching, Solomon says in verse 1. Let your heart keep my commandments. Remembering is a Christian activity. That's why I say, if we're royalty... The Spirit is preparing us for future royalty in Christ's kingdom. And Solomon is preparing his children for royalty in Israel. He puts on their head, as it were, a crown of remembering. Your royalty and your right to reign is that you can remember who God is, what he's done, and you obey, therefore, his commands. It's like placing dry logs of the commandments of God on the fire of your faith so that it burns white hot for God. The commandments of God are not, therefore, burdensome. They're a joy. They're a pleasure. They're fuel. They're like saying, make the fire bigger. Okay, add more logs on it. And that's exactly what keeping the commandments of God are like in the Christian life. Believers love it when God says, don't covet. Honor your father and mother. Keep the Lord's name and do not profane it. We love to hear him tell us to do that. We don't recoil or resist because as believers, they are logs to fuel the fire of our trusting him. Deuteronomy 30, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today, Moses said, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you are and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and hold fast to him. For he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. The Lord means for us to live long lives, but no matter how long we live on earth, the promise and the incentive given to obeying the commands and remembering them with the crown of remembrance is long life. Verse 2, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you, Solomon says, to his children. It's not mainly saying you're going to get to your 90s or 100 years old. It's mainly saying even to children aborted, even to those who die in infancy, even to those who die as young children or as teens or as young adults or middle-aged years, it's a promise that eternal life in God, abundant life, is yours as you walk close with the Lord, keeping his commands. Jesus said in Luke 22, when he was instructing the disciples as to the Lord's Supper, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. What was next? Do this in remembrance of me. This is how eternal life is enjoyed. This is how you feast on him. You do this in remembrance of me. You put the crown of remembering on and you say, Lord, I'm not going to forget you. Oh, woe to any church that forgets 
where it came from. Woe to any family or, or person who forgets its background. Woe to any movement of Christians on a continent who forget the history of the church that's behind them. The incentive is glorious. You will live long in the, in the life that the Lord gives you, and you will have peace. And those are a reference not just to physical but spiritual life. Listen to Psalm 91.16. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So also Isaiah 64. You meet him who joyfully works righteousness, those who remember you in your ways. What are we to remember we're to remember the promises of God. We're to remember the acts of God. We're to remember the word of God. And we're to remember the power of God. In all these things, remembrance is a huge part of why we exist as a church. We remember because it's our aim as a church to remember the Lord at his supper, to remember in constantly filling our lives with his word, to remember all those who've come before and those around the world who are serving the cause of Christ. So the application of our life is multiple and rich. Memorize scripture regularly. Keep a journal of God's work in your life and family. Fill your home with scripture that remind you of great moments of trusting in him. Speak often with your friends and family of moments which God came and saved you as you trusted in him. Read the history of the saints around the world and throughout history to see how the Lord has been trustworthy and fill your life with declarations of Christ's trustworthiness and greatness. May people go to your Facebook page and see everything about Christ. Leave all the rest aside. The crown of remembering. Crucial that Solomon passed this to his children, yet even more so that the Spirit pass it to us. The second promise, the necklace of grace. Good grace from God comes to those who write His love and truth on their hearts. Good grace from God comes to those who write His love and truth on their hearts. You can see this in verses 3 and 4. Let not steadfast love, that's Hebrew hesed, and faithfulness, emet, means true, forsake you. These are, these are covenant terms. Bind them around your neck, just as God has bound himself in covenant love to Israel, so we should bind them around our neck. This is where I get the idea of a necklace. Write them on the tablet of your heart. God's love, God's truth, I write them on my heart. They are near to me. They're more precious to me than just anything I might even write on my skin, or even the clothes I wear, or the jewelry I wear. This is, in fact, something written on the tablet of my heart. The steadfast love and faithfulness of God is His overwhelming love. And it's how we act. If we're going to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, we're going to enact trust. And when we enact trust, it begins with this glorious remembering. He crowns us. He says, you are my heir. You are my beloved. You are, are my adopted. Now, in the second promise, He says, go live it out in love. Write my love and faithfulness on your heart so you don't have to wonder what it is. Nobody wants to be loved by somebody who has to stand back and weigh every decision of love and say, hmm, I wonder what love looks like here. Well, I guess it looks like this. I suppose I have to do that then. That's ridiculous. 
It has to be written on the tablet of our heart so that it overflows out of us. It's the natural and pure yearning of our hearts to love God and to love others and to love even our enemies. No wonder Paul, reading through the Old Testament so well as he does in Galatians 5, 6, says, neither uncircumcision nor circumcision counts for anything but faith working through love. Galatians 5, 6. That's exactly what I see here. Trust is me having the crown of remembering who I am on my head and having the love of God written on my heart such that it, that it comes out in this necklace of grace to everyone around me. Look at the incentive for this promise, verse 4. So you will find favor and good success. You might wonder why I've used the word grace. You might wonder where I get the word grace. If you've been with us any length of time, you know that word favor is Hannah. A woman's name, Hannah, means God is my grace. That's the word behind favor. And when I'm reading in Hebrew, I stop and I circle that and I go, that's a big point I'm making in my sermon. You will find grace and good success before the eyes of God and man. And what that means is you come before God and you find all grace. Oh, how Solomon cherished this. This is the only way he can be bold enough to teach his children. David found grace. Solomon found grace. All of Solomon's sons and daughters needed and many found grace. The grace that lasts throughout the history of the Old Testament continues in the New Testament, bought and paid for, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And now that grace is true for all Solomon and Solomon's children types today, including you and me. The point is, grace always shows If I've got this crown of remembering on, yes, I know who I am in God, I'm remembering Him, and He's written His love upon my heart, then I'm going to be a person emanating grace. I'm going to be a person who's going to quickly get to grace. I'm going to be a person who doesn't revel in finding the faults. I'm not going to revel in bringing down the anvil of the law. I'm not going to revel in condemnation. I'm only going to say that in, in the most minimal way possible because that's not who I am. That's not who God is. I'm going to be the person who quickly leaves condemnation and the identification of wrongdoing, and I'm going to flee and run toward grace. Do you have anyone in your life who does not know God, but you long for them to be a believer? Do you have anyone in your life who at one point confessed faith in God, but they seem to have walked away as a prodigal and they seem to be giving themselves to a whole life and a thought pattern and habits of sin and self-harm? Condemnation will not be the final thing that brings them back. It will be grace. Have you not heard that it is the kindness of the Lord Meant to lead us to repentance. Romans 2.4 Imagine your vocabulary of grace and kindness out of the overflow of the love written on the tablet of your heart you will speak to the one who now does not want to hear it. Imagine. What will you say? Promise number three. The very core promise of our passage. I call it a staff of trust. You'll see why I call it a staff in a moment. Pleasant paths come to those who trust in the Lord. Pleasant paths come to those who trust in the Lord. You have a crown of remembering, 
a necklace of grace covering a heart which is a tablet written upon with love and truth. Now Solomon gives him the key, gives his children the key verse, trust in the Lord, the covenant Lord, with all your heart, dear ones. Do not lean on your own understanding. You're going to be tempted to. Everybody naturally does. That's the way we all are. We all lean on our own understanding. Don't do that. When I've done that, I've made a mess of things. Believe me. Please help me help you avoid the horror and pain and sorrow and loss that I've endured by leaning on my own understanding. Do not lean on your own understanding, kids. But in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Let's dig in. You've already seen with me that trust is the action, the the full weight pressing upon God. Do you see the synonyms for trust in this passage? What's the synonym for trust in the second line? Lean. Lean. That's a synonym or a defining word for trust. Trust is leaning. Leaning is trusting. That's where I get the idea of a staff. It's the word used for hanging onto a staff as, as your surety, your safety, both to ward off dangerous animals as David did in Psalm 23, but also to secure your footing and make sure that you follow a careful and safe path walking with the Lord. Do not lean, do not trust in your own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all your heart. A third synonym for trust or a a third word in line with trust and lean is acknowledge. Acknowledge. It's not a very good translation of the Hebrew word yada. Y-A-D-A is how it's transliterated into English. It's Hebrew for yada. It means to know God personally, to know him intimately, to know him deeply. It's weak just to simply say acknowledge because what it means is in all your ways, know him deeply and he will make straight your paths. It has a closer idea to cherish. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, David says. That's the idea. God's rod is a comfort, and his staff comforts me. That's how I trust in him. I trust in him to guide me. I trust in him to order my life. You have a staff as well. It's the word of God, and it's alive, and it's, it's what you lean on. It's how you trust in the Lord. You know that if you come to him with, a, with an identity as the crown of remembering, and if you're wearing around and covering your heart the necklace of grace, you will take up the staff, just like any royalty has their staff. Moses had one. Abraham had one. Joshua had one. Many others have their staff. You too have yours. If you lean on that staff, he will direct your paths. It's almost as if the staff is is an implement of the Holy Spirit and he puts the staff forward. You just simply put your foot right next to where the Spirit puts the staff. Keep in step with the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5.25. That's what the Christian life is like. Jesus said it this way, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Following Christ, following the Spirit of Christ, following and acknowledging and deeply cherishing the paths that God straightens for you is not a hard thing, but an easy thing. There's an age-old proverb that says God loves to draw crooked lines with a straight pen 
It's, it's a Portuguese idea that basically gets at these promises in Scripture that my life, your life, doesn't look very straight. You say, oh my goodness, there were twists and turns, there were hopes and there were disappointments, there were left and right, but God has his path-straightening grace and sovereignty over it all. Kathy and I would not say that we got up one morning and decided to lay our whole life out and planned out everything that happened in our life. We hadn't had that plan. Whatever lurking ideas were in our minds as young people when we were first married about what it might look like or what we might do or where we might go, God has had something better still every time. We didn't plot out first this and then that phase and then another event and then after that turning point another and another. We still don't have our life planned out. We don't have any expectations that we've laid upon God and said, God, I'm going to be really angry with you if you don't do it just the way I've asked you. He's made our paths pleasantly straight even though there have been many lefts and rights and ups and downs, hopes and disappointments. My testimony and ours is trust God. Trust God, single person. Trust God, newly married couple. Trust God, young family. Trust God, widow or widower. Trust God. No matter who you are, take Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and own it for yourself. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make pleasant your path. That last word, straight or direct, is actually pleasant. Why don't they interpret it? Why don't they translate it right? It's a sweet word. He will make pleasant your paths. It's the idea of Naomi, sweetness. Oh, what joys are here. He will make pleasant your paths. I look back on my life, Kath and I together, and it has been so pleasant. I hope you can say that. I hope you can look back and say, Lord, you have given me eyes to see even how you wove together the hard and painful things to cause me to love you more, to cause me to love your ways and the gifts of my family even more. You come to this point in your self-reflection with the word of God guiding you and you say, I do trust the Lord. I do trust him. I do but there's so much more of me that could trust the Lord than what is yet fully trusting him. I believe, help my unbelief. So no wonder Louisa Stead wrote this, and maybe if you can hear my melody and know this song, you'll sing it with me. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I've proved him o'er and o'er. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust him more. Oh, now I see what grace is for. Now I see what grace does. It makes me trust you more. Some of you come to this point and you say, yes, this is my Christian life. Yes, this is the Christian life. This is the life of royalty for Solomon's children and for the, those of us who are the royal priesthood of Christ. But I've got scars. What about the scars? What about the pain? You don't know the pain. Nobody talks about the pain. The scars are too deep. 
The confusions and the, and, the, and the injustices and the betrayals are so very raw. That's why we're going to look at verses 7 through 8 before we're done. Look at it quickly with me. The cape of refreshing. Fresh healing comes to those who fear the Lord. Fresh healing comes to those who fear the Lord. Crown of remembering, necklace of grace, staff of trusting, finally the cape of refreshing. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Fear Yahweh, sovereign Lord. He has a right to to, to bring wrath and condemnation and judgment and eternal damnation upon those who've committed evil. And all of us are in that camp, for we've all committed evil. I know, children, I wish for you a life of sin-free righteousness, but I know that's not going to happen. In other words, let the fear of the Lord awaken true and genuine repentance in you and by it turn away from any evil you are tempted to commit. We all sin. The longer you walk with God carrying the staff of trust in Him and seek to follow Him, the more you will see layers and layers of sin in your life. We all struggle with sin. It causes our bodies to waste away. The longer we try to cover it ourselves, the weaker we become. And God sees it and everyone else around us sees it, how our face grows cold and hardened and our body begins to waste away and over time it cannot be denied. It's exactly what David said in Psalm 32. Solomon, the children's grandfather, David said, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But confession of sin brings healing and refreshment to the soul. Hiding and covering and lying about our sin only enables sin to wreak havoc and pain on our soul, which always comes out in our bodies. In all our healthcare progress in the United States, why are disease and stress and symptoms of depression so rampant in our modern culture? Could it part be in part because we are a culture estranged from confessing our sin to God? There are many reasons for illness, but one must surely be we have rejected the sweetness of coming to the Lord and say, Lord, I need the healing for my flesh and the refreshment for my bones that comes when I do not cover my sin with my lies, but I let you cover it with your blood. So David began that psalm in Psalm 32, the children's grandfather, with a note of triumph. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Blessed in your mind, body, and soul, whose sin is covered. Did you see that? Listen carefully, I'll say it again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's covered by God. Blessed is the man, verse 2, against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So what David wanted was God to cover his sin. How did he get there? Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So we cover our sin and it kills us. God covers our sin and it kills him. And then he rises again to prove it's gone. Praise his name. 
the gospel in Psalm 32. This is exactly what Solomon is teaching his sons and daughters. Be not wise in your own eyes means don't find your own way to cover your own sin. Fear the Lord, repent, turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So if anyone's in this room who feels distant from the Lord, if anyone's in this room who feels dry in your prayer life, if anyone is here who is weak in the great things of God and you feel so distant, so disconnected from an intimate fellowship with God, ask him this, just ask him, Lord, is there anything standing between me and you? Is there anything in the way between me and you? If you name it, I'll agree with you and I'll name it. That's confession. And it goes away because of the blood of Christ. The crown of remembering, the necklace of grace, the staff of trusting, the cape, the covering of refreshing, the garb of the royalty the Spirit is making. Let me leave you with this beautiful picture before we gather to pray to commission Jonathan and Claire Kay. One of the lion-like scholars of the history of the United States is a man named B.B. Warfield. He's lion-like because he was noted for his mighty works to stand up in the 19-teens and 20s to proclaim the authority of the Word of God. B.B. Warfield was a world-renowned theologian, according to one the words of one historian. He taught at Princeton Seminary for 34 years until his death in 1921. Many people are aware of his famous books, and here's one that, that I've read and many have read from Warfield, The Inspiration and Authority of the Bible. It's maybe his most important book. But lots and lots of people don't know that behind this mighty lion with the huge beard of a man and, and as he proclaimed the authority of Scripture against all error and, and falsehoods, he was just a, a, a pillar of the glory of God in the 1920, uh, early teens and tens in the United States, dying in 1921. What no one knows about this loud, strong, fiery lion of a man is that in 1876, just after the Civil War, he was 25 years old. He got excited about marrying his dear sweetheart, Annie Pierce Kincaid. Annie and Benjamin, that's his name, went to Bavaria, Germany for a honeymoon, and they had a delightful honeymoon according to their biography. And then while they were walking out in the Bavarian hills, a storm came up, and Annie was struck by lightning. She lived, but she was permanently paralyzed. And caring for her for their entire marriage, 39 years, B.B. Warfield finally laid her to rest in 1915. She was so severely paralyzed by the lightning strike that he wouldn't leave her side for more than two hours at a time during their entire 39 years of marriage. We take our wedding vows and we say, for better or for worse, but here's Warfield doing it. Annie was never healed. There, there was no easy ending at the very end. It was a hard and difficult life. And, and knowing that behind this fiery lion of a man is a stunning expression. And you might be tempted to think a lot about B.B. Warfield, but, but he wouldn't have that. He wouldn't let you. Here's what he says when he's writing 
thoughts on Romans 8.28. Again, I'm getting this from a Christian historian capturing B.B. Warfield's life. These are the words of Warfield. The fundamental thought is the universal government of God. All that comes to you is under His controlling hand. The secondary thought is the favor of God to those that love Him. If He governs all, then nothing but good can befall those to whom He would do good. Though we are too weak to help ourselves and too blind to ask for what we need and can only groan in our unformed longings, He is the author in us of those very longings. And he will so govern all things that we shall reap only good from all that befalls us. I'm using Warfield to help you see what it looks like. That even in the hardest of scenarios, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Let's pray. I've offered, Lord, my best effort to understand this high and glorious passage. I have offered, Lord, to you and to these dear ones a glimpse at the glory of your name and of your worth right here in Proverbs 3. How I pray that you would apply to our lives these verses or just even a phrase of these verses to strengthen us while we are weak, to cause us to trust in you and yet to yearn for even more grace to trust you more. Thank you for calling us royalty, though very often we don't feel like it or act like it. Equip us, Lord, with the garb of royalty to live it out in this day and in the days to come until you return. Would you especially help us now pray for Jonathan and Claire as they prepare as royalty to return to their assignment in Marseille, France. What a joy we have in joining the many who help to send them and support them in prayer while they carry out the task you've laid upon them. It's our joy. We pray these things now in Christ's great name, trustworthy name, and everyone said together, amen.